by mail. Ballots can be returned by mail or at the official ballot drop box in the lobby of the Wayne County Courthouse or directly to the elections office, but not at polling locations. Make sure your vote counts. Place your mail-in or absentee ballot first in the official secrecy envelope provided, the one that does not have your name on it. Then place that in the return envelope with your barcoded return address label and complete the back, including signature and date signed. The last day to postmark or deliver your mail-in ballot is November 3rd. Your entire elections team is working tirelessly to ensure a safe and fair election, so please vote. Paid for by the Wayne County Board of Elections. Namaste, and welcome to Bodhi Talk, where the intention is to inform, inspire, and empower each of us to wake up to who we really are. Not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. My name is Doug Bill, and today on Bodhi Talk, continuing with our 2020 vision theme for the year, we will add to the foundational perspective needed to achieve the clarity that we're striving for. Now, last week we looked at how we can uh, let go of the anxiety and depression of the battleground perspective and shift into the happier, less stressful perspective of the classroom. And just to review that, basically, um, I don't want to go over this uh, too deeply but because I've talked about this quite a bit, but... Uh, essentially looking at how the way that we're sort of programmed to function in the world is uh, in a really fear-based perspective with the understanding or the, the faulty understanding, the belief that we are physical beings and very vulnerable and capable of being threatened and even destroyed. So our whole strategy in life is really about protecting our vulnerability. And with that, comes a whole thought system of uh, a lot of deceit. Uh, in order to defend ourselves from a perceived threat, we do all of what Freud described as the defense mechanisms of you know, rationalization, uh, denial, projection, dissociation, and the list goes on. And with that, there's a uh, never really uh, a way of finding a sense of peace because there's always this impending doom kind of sense. But with the classroom perspective, which is the other way that we've all been yearning for, consciously or unconsciously, um, the classroom is where rather than being guided by the teacher of fear, the ego perspective, we're guided by spirit and the classroom. Um, not the battleground, but the classroom. And everything is really about learning and essentially unlearning what we've been taught. Uh, so, brief summary of that. So today, uh, our topic is uh, deep listening. And what I mean by that is that way of moving into a given situation where we're engaging in a relationship in one form or another. And rather than just uh, our usual, and again, of course, if we do have that battleground perspective, we're 
usually misperceiving a, a threatening kind of situation and defending against it, we're not really listening. Um, and even if it isn't a kind of a threatening situation, we often, uh, we didn't really uh, develop the skills. We weren't really trained in the course of our life to pay close attention to what's happening and get beneath the surface of what's really going on. And we're so often caught up in a, a conversation about what we think is the right way to approach a given situation um, that we don't really listen to what the other person is saying. And so deep listening is a, is a skill where we're really hearing what's being said, not just the obvious messages, but we're getting into the subtler stuff. And that's, that's where like things like uh, facial expressions and body language and tone of voice and these subtler things are becoming more in the foreground of what we're taking in. And one thing that uh, we need to understand is that uh, in order to, to develop this skill of listening deeply, there are certain qualities that are, are helpful, if not necessary, uh, like inquisitiveness. Uh, to be inquisitive, to have that curiosity about what's going on and to ask questions because we are really interested in finding the answer and not assuming that there is uh, an answer that we already know. Um, we're re much more receptive in that inquisitive state. So that, again, this is these are all qualities that uh, don't come automatically. Uh, we need to just uh, sort of somehow tune into it, be aware, first of all, that there is a need to have these qualities, perhaps. Uh, sometimes it does come kind of naturally to people, but it's, it's usually something that is kind of absorbed through the experience we have in our home, in our school, and um, social situations where people are listening. When we, when we have that experience, we, there's just a very good feeling uh, when we know that people are actually caring about us and uh, really concerned about our thoughts and ideas and feelings. Um, that just comes through. Um, and so that inquisitiveness and also uh, patience, to be patient and to not try to uh, get to a quick answer, a quick fix kind of resolution to the whatever the situation or problem may be, but to just take the time to gather as much information as is appropriate or necessary in the given situation. Um, and here again, uh, all these skills are really coming from the mindfulness that uh, is the very foundation of what we're really uh, achieving or attempting to achieve here in this process. And that's where the practice of mindfulness uh, as an exercise uh, becomes what we do generally. And so the patience is part of that mindful attentiveness to others. And there's also a, a willingness to change our mind. And there again is something that uh, out of our stubbornness we have the sense that uh, we know already uh, what the story is all about and 
um, we're, we're sort of uh, stuck or uh, stubbornly holding on to our own perspective and don't want to be confused by the facts. Uh, that's a common tendency in a lot of people. It's uh, it's interesting to watch that. Um, but that willingness to change our mind, that's, that's important because uh, what we're really opening ourselves up to is is the truth of whatever is being said. And um, in that dialogue process, uh, we'll get into some of the other skills associated with this uh, in the back and forth. But again, what we want to do is listen. And to have that flexibility in our perspective that we're not going to be stubbornly holding on to our own belief of what ought to be. And then there's empathy. And this is a quality that uh, oh, a lot of people think that compassion is empathy, but uh, empathy takes this understanding to an even deeper level than compassion. Um, empathy is moving to that sense that we're almost feeling what the other person is feeling and conveying an understanding of that through our empathic openness, listening, engaging in the process of our interaction in a manner that just conveys that deep sense of true empathy. Now, as far as the, uh, the other skills, uh, what I've found is that there are so many uh, systems that I have drawn from over the years that have been very helpful for me in cultivating this quality. Um, and I'm just going to take a few basic concepts from, uh, let's see, I've got five different systems here <laughs> that I'm going to be drawing from. The first one, uh, which is the Covey model of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, we're jumping to, let's see, this is the uh, the fourth habit. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. And, and this is uh, really what I was uh, getting at a little bit earlier as to when we're empathic and listening, we're also interacting in a way. And, and again, that inquisitiveness that we bring to the process there's an, an interest in really asking questions and making comments about whatever that person in front of us is thinking or feeling uh, and expressing to us. We move into a way of uh, deepening our understanding of the whole picture of what they're presenting. So, and we and we do that at right up front, and of course. This is always, uh, there's a flexibility here in how we actually engage in the process. It may be kind of a mixture of seeking first to understand and then to be understood. We may bring in, in the process of understanding them, some of our own ideas. And But the, the main intention of this, well, as Covey presents the seven habits, this particular habit is about getting to that point where we uh, truly understand all the different things that are going on and uh, in in their it may be uh, say a, a strategy and how they think a certain problem ought to be resolved, for example, and it's a problem that uh, 
I want to be resolved in a particular way. But as I question that other person about their strategies, uh, something interesting begins to happen, uh, especially when we have that openness and that willingness to adjust our perspective. Because it may well be that when we're hearing what they have to say, there's something that we hadn't even considered. And so that's where this shift may occur. And then, on top of that, when I then begin to express to this person who has shared her or his perspective with me in this back-and-forth dialogue, uh, and I then say, well, I see that you look at it this way and you think the steps that we ought to take to resolve it are these, well, I'm thinking that this other step would be good too. And maybe that step... Uh, when we consider what's really going on here, that step might not be as important or as effective. So we are looking at it together, and we're both hopefully having that willingness to change our perspective. And again, here you see this process of listening deeply. And what, uh, well, of course, Covey goes on, he has a very holistic model. The seven habits are, are really quite profound. And uh, when I first heard about his system, I, I thought, well, that's just like all of these other self-help books, a uh, dime a dozen. Uh, but he truly took it to a very deep and holistically oriented perspective that covers all the bases, I'd say. Uh, now, another one where uh, the psychologist Marshall Rosenberg, uh, who developed a system known as nonviolent communication, now, his model is essentially, again, it's about listening, but it's, it's about being more honest in the way we express ourselves. Uh, and basically, he's dealing with situations where we may be upset about what has just transpired. And again, what we've been conditioned by our culture to do is to blame the other person. Uh, you're pissing me off, you're such an idiot, if you don't stop this, I'll never speak to you again. Uh, that's the, that's sadly a, a very common scenario. And so, uh, what Rosenberg did was to look at that and say, well, none of those statements are valid. Uh, my feelings, whatever I'm experiencing emotionally, is really about my own interpretation of what has just happened. So it's, I'm the one responsible for this emotion. So rather than blaming, I simply state the truth of what it is that I'm feeling. And then I will move into, rather than judging them for being so wrong in whatever way I perceive that, I just focus on, okay, what is it that I need that I'm not getting? I'm not being respected. I'm not being treated fairly. I'm not being understood. So there's this other way. Um, and not to uh, demand or threaten, to say, would you please do this instead of that? So that's uh, Rosenberg. Then the, uh, the work of Byron Katie, stay in your own business. Uh, don't get into the shoulds and shouldn'ts and judging in that way. Uh, then there's the uh, Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Don't make assumptions is one of the four agreements. And that's something that really gets us into danger, too, when we are so quick to make an assumption, like we, we think we know what it is that needs to be done, and we just make that assumption and uh, 
go through that whole forcing upon others. Um, and then lastly, from this perspective at least, uh, would you rather be right or happy? And that's actually something that's uh, uh, a question uh, proposed by the A Course in Miracle perspective, where it takes a, a lot of work to find that happiness. But if I choose to be right, then the other person is wrong, and that then is my choice to be unhappy. But rather than choosing to be right, I do this work of what we're talking about here, deep listening. Okay, so now we're going to take a little break. And it's uh, Scott playing Zen meditation music. Okay, welcome back to Bodhi Talk. That was Tony Scott playing. Um, and then we're talking about deep listening. I just gave some uh, pointers from great teachers that I have encountered over the years. And uh, now I'd like to just go into a few examples of what it means to listen deeply. And this is a, a situation... Uh, well, these examples involve uh, good intentions, but missing the boat and actually moving into this deeper connection with deep listening. Uh, there was a, a family I was working with years ago, and this sort of stuck in my mind. It was such a, an interesting uh, experience here where, you know, I've done a lot of work with families, and this uh, uh, parenting guidelines are um, something that uh, we could all benefit from, actually. it's We don't get an instruction guide uh, when our kids are born, and it's uh, the most difficult job on the planet, and it's also the most important job, parenting. So anyway, I was working with this family, and the parents were very receptive and they were really applying the concepts that I was um, providing with to them, uh, natural logical consequences to behavior and just spending time when there's an upset situation to get to the bottom of it. And uh, uh, But, you know, this uh, one... 
time, uh, it was an adolescent daughter, maybe around 14, which is, as many of you know, that's one of the most difficult periods of time around age 14. There's so much going on, uh, sort of disconnecting from family and getting associated with the peer group, uh, uh, developing what we call individuation as a, their own self. And uh, so this, this family, this, these Two parents were talking to their daughter one evening, and uh, all through dinner she was just very cantankerous, just uh, rather obnoxious and uh, quick to uh, react uh, to her uh, younger sister. And it was just a very unpleasant scene, and then it just sort of escalated after that. And uh, they went up into her room where she was... Uh, just continuing to carry on, and they were actually utilizing all the right techniques. And uh, but then the kid said, "If you understood what happened to me today, you wouldn't be yelling at me like this." And of course, I don't think they were really yelling at her, but that was her perception. She was not being uh, received empathically, we could say, in this situation. And so, uh, what happened then was. That they sort of sh- shifted gears and they said, "Oh well, tell us what happened." And apparently, I don't know if it was a bullying situation, but the, she was just really getting uh, traumatized emotionally, uh, as can be done very easily at that age. Um, and so they they shifted gears and they were really instead of uh, telling her how to uh, react to uh, their home situation. Uh, they just uh, gave it a listening ear without uh, being so judgmental as she was perceiving it at least. And so then there was an, uh, that was, again, uh, they had the right intentions, but they weren't really connecting because um, their daughter just knew that they didn't hear what was really going on. And um, they weren't allowing her to really open up until she said, you're not listening, and then they backed off, and then she opened up. And a similar situation happened with me, uh, oh, it's some time ago. Uh, There was a woman that had never uh, been recognized as having bipolar condition, and she'd gone through, uh, well, well into her adult life with kids that were out on their own already, and she was... Uh, struggling with these uh, shifting moods, uh, deep depression and periods of elation. Uh, and it was complicated. There's a lot of other stuff going on. And I encouraged her to see a psychiatrist, and she did, and she was in the process of adjusting to the medication, which apparently wasn't quite the right medication, and she was going through even more cycling of her moods, but she was a little more focused. Uh, And I proceeded to talk with her about the self-care regimen that I encourage all my clients to take care of themselves, to love themselves, and to get into a a healthy routine of waking up around the same time and being more mindful of how they eat and exercise and all of that. And I thought I was doing a great job. And then she looked at me and she said, you're not listening. And I I was taken aback. Uh, But then I realized I wasn't really empathizing with her. I wasn't really 
recognizing that she was literally doing the best she possibly could, and the idea of her also developing any kind of uh, self-care regimen at this point in the process was, it was actually, it was premature. And I was rushing into my own agenda, making assumptions. And uh, even as a, a therapist, uh, having, uh, you would think I would know better. Uh, but uh, I'd have to say my wife wasn't surprised. <laughs> but uh, that's another story. So anyway, the whole process of learning how to empathize and listen deeply. Uh, by the way, I did shift gears in that session and moved into a, a much deeper sort of reflecting back what she was experiencing and not trying to change anything. It was really too early to bring about a change any other than just acknowledging what she was feeling and acknowledging that indeed she was, again, doing the best she could with what she was given. So what it is that I'm uh, finding with this deep listening process is that uh, it applies to just about any and all of our relationships, uh, animate or inanimate. Uh, and that might sound a little strange. Uh, but well, just think of a car. We're, we're driving along the road, and uh, uh, we may not be picking up on the fact that there's a, a little bit of a hesitation, uh, and the, we're not really noticing it, and it just continues happening, and then uh, we hear this clunk, and uh, I'm not a mechanic, so, but uh, just in, in dealing with cars as well as humans, if we're really attending to what's going on, and if we have some, uh, we don't really even have to have a skill set as far as being a mechanic about a car. If, if, we're, if we're listening and attending to something that seems irregular, and we attend to it right away, say, go into the mechanic and say, I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't feel right. And then he may take it for a test drive, and he has that deeper listening of uh, auto mechanics to tune into what the real problem is. Uh, and, and it's also about having the same kind of respect for material things as well as uh, emotionally feeling uh, Humans and animals, uh, pets, uh, treating everyone with love, even cars and stuff around the house. So this is where, again, the skill of deep listening is really a sort of a natural progression from the practice of mindfulness. Uh, and that's where... We may go into this, uh, what I call the Namaste Booster. And again, Tony Scott will be playing in the background. As we just take the time to just become present. Be aware of where you are in time and space. Aware of your breath flowing gently in and out. And just let go. Let go of any uh, unnecessary tension that you may have. And again, this is something that we can do even when we're up and about doing things, chores, driving a car, what have you. It's about bringing our full awareness into the moment. Uh, 
When we do that with our eye clo- eyes closed, that takes us into a deeper connection with our emotional, psychological stuff. But when we do it with our eyes open, it can help us connect with the, the world around us in a more effective manner. And the breath is what helps us stay grounded in the moment, which is where everything happens. Past is finished, future is just imagined. So letting go and witnessing in this moment whatever arises without judging, without evaluating as good, bad, right, wrong, supposed to be or not supposed to be, just becoming present very deeply. And then when you're ready just to bring an alertness, and again, if you do this as a, as a kind of a meditation at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, you will then just take a few deeper breaths to bring yourself into greater alertness, opening your eyes, reconnecting with the world around you, and then resolving to somehow maintain this flow of awareness and practice that. So now I'd like to thank Ron Penska for engineering today's show, and thanks to Jay Merrill for the Bodhi Talk theme music, and also thanks especially to you for listening and for supporting WJFF Public Radio. And remember, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Namaste. A few times a year, we ask you to donate to keep the news you depend on coming. This NPR station hasn't reached its goal yet, but decided that the news is too pressing to continue fundraising as planned. Here's how to help. The team at this station is committed to keeping you connected with the information you need. Please support us now with a financial contribution at WJFFradio.org. Radio Catskill is made possible thanks to the generous support